I got asked to do a TED Talk in New York back in 2019 about this whole conversation. And then the TED organisers, I had my approved speech and I was ready to present. And they said, Chris, you know, you've shown us how good a hacker you are, but how good a hacker are you really? And so I then hacked into all the TED speakers, uh, the TED conference organisers that were that I'd been in, been interviewed along the way, and I presented their life. In a, in, you know, this is your life. This is your credit record. This is your bank statement. This is like this. And they pulled my TED Talk. And for me, I think the biggest shock that I'd ever had was you've asked a scorpion, you know, to do something and he stung you and that's what scorpions do. And for me that was like, I wouldn't say the word shock, but it was like, wow, you, you thought you wanted to hear from a cyber mercenary. You didn't actually really want to hear from a cyber mercenary. Today's guest is Chris Rock. Chris is a cyber mercenary, and he's a trailblazer in the cybersecurity world. His journey is fascinating to me, and it's one that's been fueled by a spirit of defiance and a relentless pursuit of finding his true self. He embodies a unique duality. He's both a hacker and a protector. A couple of the areas that we touch on in this episode are embracing your true identity as Chris did by integrating this hacker persona or his livelihood with his cybersecurity expertise. We also talk about how defying societal norms can lead to personal growth and career success. And we talk about how that worked for him. And then really the power of introspection, which led Chris to this realization about what his true path and purpose is. His story isn't about the adrenaline-fueled world of hacking. It's really a deeper exploration of embracing all parts of oneself, challenging conventional paths, and really finding success on our own terms. Before we start, I want to thank my Patreon supporters. This week, special thanks goes to Tracy, Emily, and Mickey. Your contributions are really so helpful in bringing these stories to life. For anyone wanting to join the community and enjoy exclusive content, please go to patreon.com forward slash the life shift podcast and you'll find all the information about the different tiers and the t-shirt giveaway and all those other things so thank you for that support and without further ado here's my conversation with chris rock ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and this is The Life Shift candid conversations about the pivotal moments that have changed lives forever. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Life Shift Podcast. I am here with Chris Rock. Hey, Chris. Hey, mate. How you going? Good. I told someone that I was recording with you today, but I just said your name. I'm sure you get questions every once in a while i do i get all these freaking flies by accident too so it's it's win-win oh yeah so there's some benefit to having the same name as someone that might not be quite as popular as you 
Did you have, do you have any challenges? Are there challenges that come along with that? No, not in my industry. I'm a professional hacker by trade. For me, it, it actually, when I'm talking to somebody, it relaxes my target. So if I'm going through someone like uh, customs or, you know, dealing with somebody in, 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 who's more senior than myself, I'll just take a step back saying, hang on, you're white. And uh, it just puts them off, which is, it does, does mean good favors. <laughs> I, I like that, that you've been able to use it as a, is that kind of a benefit or something that calms you down? It's like a little piece of medicine or it's a hack. It's kind of a chill pill. Oh yeah. Or a hack. We, I guess we could go in that, in that way. And so we were talking briefly a little bit briefly before we started recording. And I mentioned to you that you don't do any specific research. However, you know, when we first connect with guests, I ask for like a little bit of information. Right. And so the person that connected us gave me a little bit of information. And uh, if I'm being totally 100% honest here, most of it went right over my head in the sense of, I'm really interested in hearing your story, because a lot of it was like, what does that mean? So thank you for just kind of being a part of this and sharing your story in hopefully a unique way. I love your show. I love listening to all your different guests. They all have a you know different take on everything. I see common threads throughout, uh, which I'll touch on on today. But it's it's great to see you know experts and you know uh, just other people and their life story. It's uh, it's really entertaining. What I've really realized through these really human personal stories is how much we all have in common. Like how much, no matter what other people tell us, are like these huge gaps of differences and all these things that people say that we're so different, but you know, at the core, we're all just people trying to do very similar things on this earth. Exactly. I mean, I was listening to your Lolo um, podcast uh, yesterday and uh, for, for me, I just saw, you know, we might call it something different because we don't know, you know, the technical term for what we're referring to, whether it be subconscious or pre-conscious or whatever it is, but just having that vein that's like, oh yeah, I have that too. Um, and even you mentioned it in the podcast as well, that you have, you know, the gut feeling or the third eye on a particular, on a topic that leads you. Yeah. You know, I, I probably told her this in that episode. I can't remember now, but it's like, Part of me, like this show is a little bit selfish for this eight-year-old kid in me who had just lost his mom from an accident and just like felt very alone. Like I was the only kid who ever had a dead mom. And it was like, now I get to have these conversations and go like, oh, other people felt the same way, even though they had a different circumstance. So I'm glad that that you have those connections to what Lolo had to share. You know, it's just, it's been such a fulfilling journey that I can't believe I'm on. <laughs> This little version of me. Anyway, let's get to your story. I think what would be helpful maybe, and you kind of alluded to it, that you're a professional hacker by by trade of some sort or some words like that, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about who you are right now and then kind of paint the picture of what your life was like leading up to whatever moment we're going to talk about today. Definitely. So uh, I'm a cyber mercenary by trade. So I am paid to do hacking uh, around the world, like specific, particular targets. I'm also a security researcher, so I actually look at holes in systems and then publish those holes um, so that people can then plug those holes. And I, I, um, I also run a co-founder of a company that produces security software to detect threats in people's networks. So I, I, I see myself always as having three roles, and that's what I currently do right now, all three. And that I could imagine how that must paint a certain picture or something in the sense of like how you think about just any old thing that a lot of people probably don't 
even give a second thought to. You're like, wait a second, look at all these holes or. You're spot on. I essentially analyze everything that's said to me or anything that's, that I read or, or have been told, I question. I, I, you know, I don't assume that what they're saying is correct and actually look into why they said that in the first place, you know, to deter maybe that's what they were told. And then I just look for the holes in that system, if it interests me, of course. Do you find that that is of any, I'm sure there's a lot of benefit to that. Do you find any kind of detriment to that in your own, like, personal well-being or happiness does that intrude in on any of that no that's 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 my calling so for me to do that uh, I, I i love it so i live for that that's essentially what i do so you were made for it i was definitely made for it i mean <laughs> i'm age i'm age 50 now and um you know in one of my roles i'm taking a lesser role which was that security company i mentioned last but you know my wife said to me like well what are you going to do now it's like man i'll do the other two which i really love like they're my calling so I, I can imagine you. Do you also like puzzles? Actually, I don't. I, I, I'm, no? I'm, I, know, I know I'm supposed to like them. I just can't stand them. It just felt like, you know, like you're always trying to probably find these things and put these pieces together, but maybe not in the literal sense. Can't stand them. Yeah. Well, maybe you can kind of paint the picture of what your life was like leading up to kind of this life shift moment or something that kind of threw your life in a different direction. Yeah, definitely. So, look, I, I'm I'm a, a child of, a, you know, I'm a I'm, I'm a I've got two siblings, normal suburban family. Um, your listeners and yourself will know that uh, my accent. I'm not American. Uh, I'm Australian. So, a, a normal household, middle income. Father was a teacher, stay at home mum. I paint the picture because just I just want to show you, you know, where I came from. Computers at that time were not in people's homes at that stage. I didn't get a computer in in my home until I was thirteen. Uh, and then as soon as I got one, I just gravitated to it. I was like in front of it, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. That was that was essentially my calling. Security wasn't a job at the time. You were in IT. So when I hit 18, you know, the university age, I went to university. I thought that's what you did. I was essentially following the path. And my father was a teacher. He wanted to be a, be a principal, but he didn't never got a degree, so he could never be a principal. So he was essentially pushing me down there university right now computer science was what you did back then there was only one computing degree and i did it for about a, uh, maybe a month or two and pulled out couldn't stand it, it was the hate of the course pulled out went back the second year pulled out same thing third year and fourth year i was like i'm smart enough now to know that this is not what i want to do um so i went straight into the workforce i went and worked at a computer shop obviously my parents weren't happy that i didn't finish the university degree but it's something i wasn't interested in the stuff that i was learning i already knew because I've been, you know, using computers since I was 13. So, you know, that puts me into the mid-20s and that's then when I went into essentially my career. I did 10 years in, in banks, um, four different banks in Australia and essentially doing IT for those banks. Um, and that led me up to around about age 30 and that's when, you know, essentially the pivotal moment started. Well, before you get there, I think it's so interesting that you kind of hit on that. Like I feel like you were – you said that you were kind of hitting the check marks or you felt like the next step you were supposed to go to university and you were supposed to get whatever job and then show everyone that you could hit all the marks. And I, I lived that life. I feel like so many of us subscribe to the life that's like, okay, here's what life tells you you have to do and then you do it. So good on you for quitting four times or five times yeah it took it took four, four times to realize look it probably was five i still have a university debt that i'm still paying off right now for these unfinished courses but uh yeah and, and, and you're right some people go through their whole lives like following the narrative you know you must do this 
Lolo mentioned this before, have a family, do this, do that. You just seem to be on a conveyor belt, a life conveyor belt, whether you want to be on that belt or not. And some people break off the belt and some people are happy to stay on the belt. Yeah. Were you scared to break off the belt or did you feel like you just knew that wasn't what you wanted to do? Um, it's a really good question. I, I, I think initially, yes. And, and I turned to something, I turned to meditation, like that Zen meditation. Now, I'm not that sort of, sort of guy that does meditation. You know, I'm, I'm the worst person. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the, if you look at me, I'm the, you know, the, the right side of the, uh, of the spectrum. And for me, that seemed like really weird stuff. And, and then I turned to it just to, you know, look for some meaning in, in whether I could break that, that, that conveyor belt. And mine was an extreme conveyor belt break because it wasn't just moving from one job to another. And uh, it was essentially breaking my whole, whole, sh- whole, whole focus that I'd had to, to that point. Well, even just like, even just breaking off the belt in the sense of not conforming to going to university or getting the degree or getting the expected job and then the expected promotion and all those pieces. I think that's, is really big. And if I put myself in those shoes, like I probably wanted to quit college a thousand times, but I knew I couldn't in my mind, right? I knew that in my mind that society was going to judge me for that and that my dad was going to be disappointed and I was going to let down no one that cared, you know, like nobody really cared they would have preferred that I went the route maybe it, like you did in that you knew this wasn't for you. So you jumped into continuing to play with computers and play with IT and and find your space there. So, I mean, good for you, but I can't relate. Yeah, no, and, Matt, and what, what degree did you end up doing? Well, my first degree doesn't really even exist now. Like my first bachelor, my bachelor's degree was in management information systems. And it's like. I remember it. You know, like, and nobody talks about that anymore with, you know, so I did that. And then I was to the point where I was, you know, immediately went in to get my MBA, my, my master's in business, just because it was offered to me, not because I wanted to, not because anything else. It was just like (laughs) the next thing. So I'm always inspired by people that kind of like, I know I'm supposed to do this, but I'm not going to. So just wanted to pause and, and give you kudos for that. Thanks, mate. Thanks. I'm pretty stubborn, so it wasn't hard. <laughs> so you were working in banking, which I'm imagining is also kind of somewhat preventing people from getting in there and that kind of stuff. We, we refer to it as blue team. So I was on blue team, so securing banks against hackers from the outside. So that was what you like. Did you start in that or did you eventually kind of get to that space where they realized you have the skill to do that? I, I essentially... I was a hacker. I was a hacker. So I was a criminal hacker leading up to that point. So my job was, you know, because there's, there's no job as a hacker, you're either criminal or you're not a criminal. My job was in banking was to stop people from, from getting in. Um, so that was my, essentially my day job, but my night job was a hacker. Uh-huh. So how did you balance those two worlds? Very hard. You, in obviously working in the banking sector and being blue team, you can't say that you're a hacker. I mean, you, most hackers that you talk to today, they talk about I'm a reformed hacker. I was a hacker, and now I've gone on to you know I've gone on the dark side, and now I'm on the light side. And and then I'll talk about what they did in the past. And in my industry, it's very common for hackers to say I did this when I was younger. I'm reformed, and now I do this. That's not who I am, but that's that's who they are. Yeah. So you grew up. From that age of 13, when you got the computer, were you always kind of just trying to find holes and trying to, what was the, do you know what the drive was to do that? 
Um, I think, like you said, it was like solving puzzles. I don't like puzzles, but I love these puzzles, if that makes sense. So I love the computer-related holes in systems. They were essentially designed in 1965 with not security in mind and just just Mm -hmm. looking for holes in those systems. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, you know, was your life, you know, you said your life was like this middle class kind of normal, if you will, boring. Is that part of it was like the thrill of doing and and like not getting caught or potentially getting caught? Was there that piece that felt like this is so boring, I need to do something? I think think the thrill of it was finding information that wasn't currently available. So hacking into systems to find out what was out there that that was essentially protected. You know, whether it be the latest book, the latest game, you know, things that would interest me, whether the stuff that I they were told that I couldn't access that I wanted to access. Like pre-Napster almost. Like yeah, a, exactly, yeah, illegal, pre-Napster, yeah. <laughs> like the illegal version of trying to find things that are out there somewhere. But Correct. What did you do with them? Did you sell them? Were you? No, no, it wasn't like that. It was essentially just a thrill. I would read it and dispose of it, next target. Well, I think as an American, we think criminal and then we think like you're doing something even more mischievous with it, like that you're selling it or selling private data to someone. It was just the thrill of, can I do this? Yes, I can. Let me try something harder. Correct. And then you kind of like were also in parallel doing- A day job. Preventing- people from doing what you were doing. Correct. And that's why I was so good at what I was doing because I was preventing people like myself. Did people know? They do now. I'm I'm public on on what I do. So, Right. But at the time, did you feel like you were going to get it? No. Taboo. Completely taboo. Because I feel like if I was sitting around someone, I was like, how did they know how to, you know, do the opposite, right? Like protect us so much. Why are they thinking about this? I would never have thought of that. And here you are coming in like, I did this last night, by the way. <laughs> yeah, both sides of the fence. Yeah, so if you're, if you're playing both of those lines, what, what leads you up to, to what your shift was? If this was like going well. The shift was I was denying who I was. So I would, you know, my, my frontward facing role in society was I am a blue team, a preventative hacker. That's my role. I'm, I'm that. But I was dismissing half of who I was. And my shift came by just acknowledging who I was. I'm both. Uh, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not scared. I am both these together. And it's funny when you talk about that, people in my industry, the hacker industry, that they have that same feeling. Like that's something that they won't come out with publicly, but they do walk both sides of the fence because they they enjoy both sides. So what brought you, was there like a significant, like something that happened that you were like, okay, I'm going to expose this or share this publicly? Was, you know, was there some kind of impetus for you to kind of shift that or bring both sides into the light instead of just one, not the not the nice light, but just in the daylight. Yeah, I was coming up for essentially my fifth contract at my fourth bank, and I, my manager went up to the CEO that they needed CEO approval because I'd been there for so long, and they said we need this guy, myself, signed on. We need him to to, to sign on for another say three years at, at our institution. He does a great job, and the CEO came back, which is a great line by the way. The CEO said to my manager. If he's so good, why doesn't he go and do it himself? Like, why doesn't he go and work for himself? And that feedback came back to me. And I'm thinking, she's right. (laughs) She's absolutely (laughs) right. And then I then went back and meditated on that discussion 
and thinking, what is stopping me from doing what I want to do? Like, who am I? And and that wasn't a quick, we talk about pivotal moments and, and your guests have had some shocking pivotal moments. For me, it was it was, a, it was a small expression that led me down that meditation route to work out who am I? Like, what am I? What I, I've been trying to hide for the last, you know, 20 odd years and just having that discussion with myself on who, who am I? What makes me tick? And how do I want to present myself going forward in life? Yeah. Well, I mean, were before you heard what, you know, the higher up said, had you thought about that? Had you, was that like, an option for you? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I married the right person. So essentially my wife, I don't think she's the word brash, but she's very assertive in what she wants. And, and, and she just, she's just a natural leader and having been with her and watching her behavior, it, it's almost like gave me permission to do what I wanted to do. I didn't have to pretend that when she did something, she did something with, I'm not going to say word force, but she did something without even thinking twice because she knew in her heart what she what she needed to do. And so you asked a good question. So I, I had, by example, someone that I could follow and permission to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. But before that was, were you going to do that? No, or were you no, content? Completely taboo. I would have to always hide that part of my life. It would be, you know, nine to five at the bank and then what I did outside the bank completely hidden. Yeah. Were you getting paid at that time with the stuff on the other side? Yeah. Okay. How does, I mean, this is that's another tangent, world, but that's okay, another so world. And, and we can discuss that, but there, that's a completely, that's another world yeah. completely. So, so there was there you were real. It wasn't just for fun anymore. Like when you were growing up, no, no, no. You were professional. Yeah. People would say, look, we've got a target. We want to find out what he's doing. We think he's embezzling money. Can you find out for us? You know, here's the, here's the scope. Here's the money. Go do what you do and present us with the material. And that's what I would do. And they weren't reaching out to Chris Rock. They were reaching out to some kind of hidden entity of Correct. some sort. There's, there's always a, a middleman who would take a cut. Right. And then, and so you wanted to bring that other entity and, and your real presenting self to the world Correct. together here. But kind of society was still telling you, like, you can't. It's taboo. We can't. Correct. You can't do that. And, you know, I kind of think of that or the way you describe it, the way you, when you heard, almost like permission from an external source of like, why, why, if they're so good, why aren't they doing it themselves? Yeah. Is almost like that, like, Oh, I, I should be like this, like almost, it is kind of like this, this shift in, in approach or I don't know, maybe confidence. It's not confidence, but it's like a possibility. You're spot on. It's essentially the first card. When we talk about the pivotal moment, it's the first card that drop, which then I, I could then look internally to go, who are you and how do you want to present yourself to the world? And then go forward forcefully or assertively and, and do what you want to do without hiding. Yeah, that's fascinating because, and I think, I think it is because I'll, I'll also like on the flip side, think, do you think that you would have eventually done that had you not heard that statement or would have been, Far, farther down the road or maybe not at all? I, I don't think – I think I would have been less of who I am today and less who I would have been in the future. So the answer is there may have been some sort of shift but less of a shift. Or like you said, I may have hit that like all my other InfoSec people, um, info security people, hackers out there who would not go public with this information. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, if I don't see that – I mean, I understand logically that there's an opportunity for me. I could do this. It is possible – 
I know it's taboo, but there's still like, I'm sure, were you the first, I mean, were you the first one to ever do this? Uh, I'll never claim, I'll never claim to be the first. Could be, um, (laughs) it's not an ego thing for me. It was essentially, like I said, I, I looked internally, like, who am I? And then I, and then I got an answer like an internal answer just said, you're a fucking hacker. And for me, when I got that internal response, like for me, that was just like, boom, like my career just skyrocketed based on me just functioning on who I'm supposed to be. It's like that practice of, you know, you at first you're like, I'm not a meditation, not for me, but the more you do it and the more comfortable and you find your own way of meditating, right? I'm assuming there's probably a unique way for you that works, that is effective apparently. And then you hear something. that tells you keep going exactly for me and and, and I'm, I'm, i'll never preach to anyone but for me it was like zen meditation other people do hyp- hypnosis other people you know listen to their gut feeling their third eye whatever they do for me it was essentially listening listening to my subconscious like my conscious is me reading books watching tv hacking all that sort of stuff but my subconscious is what I bring in but don't actually bring to the surface. So I was actually, you know, touching in on my subconscious saying, look, my subconscious brings in more data than my conscious. It stores my whole life. Can I draw in on that and get some information that maybe my conscious is not aware of? And then, yeah, I got an answer. And you got the answer and it was like, let's go. But and let's so, go. Like- and my career, like, like I said before, it just went bang. And I've presented all around the world, been asked to do TED Talks, the whole thing based on, just, just letting go of, of, of who I who I am and or who I thought I was, and just going full full steam ahead on I am a hacker. Hack. Leaning into your true purpose and joy and the things that fulfill you without shame. Correct. Because you didn't have shame behind the scenes, but there was some kind of societal shame that you were wearing like a jacket. Yeah, I was in the closet. <laughs> yeah, you're just throw this off and like let's go. What was that first, like, when, was, I mean, to go with your coming out of the closet kind of thing, what was that first, like, coming out of this darkness that you were, sh- that you were hiding, like, just letting it all out? What was that, like, first experience like? Or did you just, like, here's my website, you know, like, here's what I do? For, for me, it was, uh, it was liberating. It was a lightening of the load. It was essentially... I don't give a fuck what you think. I don't think if it's against the society. I don't think if you think I'm a criminal, this is who I am. And, you know, right or wrong, this is who I am. And I will go forward doing what I want to do. So for me, it was it was liberating. How'd you do it? Um, that's Did really you like cool. post it on Facebook? You know, yeah, like, no, where... I think it was more of a subconscious. Uh, subconscious. So I sent, okay. essentially my first thing I presented to the world on how that you could kill somebody virtually and and so you could kill them and birth them virtually so i presented to the world on how you could circumvent the system without actually telling the authorities how to fix it so actually that was my first public outing for example when you die the doctor comes fills out some paperwork gives it to the funeral director fills out more paperwork and then you're dead but now that's moved electronically so i found found flaws in that system and i published them without notifying any authorities uh, that this could be done so that was essentially my first so in true form, it was like a digital release of some sort. Correct. That other people, was this something that you promoted or was it more like you put it out there and it, it kind of grew legs of its own? Legs of its own. This is presented at the largest hacking conference in the world in Las Vegas in front of 30,000 you know, hackers. Then the media picked up on it and then it just went. Okay, so it was just, a big, a big it was a to big do. Thing. It was a big to okay. do. Okay. 
I was going to say, I was thinking like, you know, maybe you were just dipping your toe in the water, but no, you're going and presenting at a giant out. conference. But then I'm sure the reaction and all the, all the stuff that came after that was like a further, like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Like, it was an affirmation. It was affirmation of A, you've done it. B, you've got the balls to do it. And, and C, this is this is step one of you know your 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 second career, if, if I want to call it that one. Yeah. Was there a part of you? I feel like I don't know why I would assume this this feeling, but was there a part of you that was like, damn, I wish I had done this sooner? Um, I, I suppose it didn't really matter. It's a type. Uh, Okay. I don't want to sound like sounds sound wanky. It's just it, it, do, it doesn't. It doesn't really. I'm I'm 50, and you know I've got another 30 odd years, 40, whatever. It didn't matter whether I was 30 or or, or, or 20 or, or 50. For me, it's just like I've I've got there. Would it have been nice to done it early? No, no. I think it made the coming out even better, having you know such a build up. Yeah, I don't know. I feel. Like- I like to assume as much shame as possible, apparently. <laughs> and so be like, damn, had I done this 10 years ago, look, I wonder where I would have been, you know, and then assume all the things that don't matter because it's in the past. It, it, I shouldn't really care. No, you should. But, but since it's my podcast, I like to just say these things out loud for everyone to know about. That's right. Me. So, <laughs> but, you know, so you had this conference, you told everyone, look, this is who I am. Did you also include like the things you were doing on the outside professionally? Um, that came straight after. When people saw what I could do, because in my industry when you find an exploit as a InfoSec professional, you're not supposed to publish it without notifying the authorities first. They, it, it's, it's almost like a taboo. Uh, like if you find a vulnerability in, say, you know, iTunes or, you know, a website, you're supposed to divulge it to the and give them three months to fix it. And then you can then say when they've fixed it, then you can say here's the issue uh, and you can publicly release it uh, to say, you know, here's the holes, the vendors fixed it, clap, 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 everyone's happy that you found it and they fixed it. That's that's the normal process. Whereas I did a system where you could kill essentially kill anybody in the world. It's not an Australian system. It's not a US system. It's worldwide that you could kill anybody or birth a fake people without without me notifying authorities first. But, I mean, who were you supposed to notify on that? And who makes that rule? Government departments. It's, it's, an, it's an internal rule. It's almost like, you know, if you're a doctor, you've it's got a code. Your own, the code. It's like it's the code. Boy Scouts honor. Cor- kind of correct. But because I was walking both sides of the fence, I didn't have to follow a code. So where did you go from there when when that conference, like, I guess that conference was like the confirmation that you're doing the right thing? So I backed it up with another uh, speech uh, the following year. So I then did a talk on how to throw a government digitally. I worked with a coup mercenary, uh, a physical mercenary, uh, who'd done coups in Africa. And him and I did a presentation on how to throw a government by hacking into government systems and all that sort of stuff. And essentially my work led into the Middle East where I started doing work for, for governments there and private companies there on things that they wanted to do, essentially that, that other side of the work. So. Wow. And so it, the the feeling built and you were reminded that the more you lean into your purpose, your joy, the things that, that you know you're good at, the more confirmation you got and the farther you got down the line. Correct. I mean, if we equate this to something that people can relate to, you know, like, cause I don't think there's a lot of, oh, well, then maybe there are, are there a lot of people in your space? Yeah. You're spot on. So I, I try to, uh, without getting, philosopher they call it buddha nature and that means your true nature like when you see a dog chasing a fox 
and it just it's all of a sudden something clicks and it just does what it does that that's called its Buddha nature and then when you you know you doing your podcast that's your natural you can see that's your natural calling you know it just comes across this is your natural calling we call that Buddha nature so for me doing you know the hacking that is my what called my Buddha nature I don't have to think I don't have to question I don't have to there's no conscious thought involved it is straight subconscious acting hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're so involved in that and your passion and I'm just thinking like, how do you, how do you put limitations on yourself so you don't burn out? So you don't like, I feel like if you're just so in the zone, you could lose all the other pieces of like real life. Does that that ever happen to you or do you know how it it doesn't? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I'm, I'm so I'm also a father of four. I, I haven't mentioned that in this call. So I still have that life. I don't, I don't turn hacker on and turn father off. And I love spending time with my kids. Does it influence my kids? Yes. Like for example, you know, I, I, I certainly I try to push them off the conveyor belt during their path. Yeah. You know, so I've got kids at university and whatever, and I deliberately don't try to, you know, push them because they're not ready. You know, they're twenty four you know, 22, 18 and 16. But I also ask them to question what they're doing and I promote them doing things like philosophy and is this something you really want to do, you know, for the next 40 years of your life? Just really have a think about it. Now's the time to have a think. So, so to answer your question in a roundabout way is I think the balance comes naturally for me. I mean, it sounds great and it sounds like you can also serve as a, a source of inspiration for your children in a sense of like, like like dad is leaning into what really serves him and serves other people and is super passionate about it. I hope I can find something like that. Do you see that in your kids? I definitely see that. And, and you know, they, they, they'll, they'll watch my presentations and a bit like you, they'll only understand a certain portion of it, but they know that, at, you know, the pinnacle of my industry or the, 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 the focus that I have on my career, that they see that and, you know, I see them, in doing their own thing that with that extreme focus as well. Well, you cannot probably, they can probably also see the joy that it brings you or like the sense of satisfaction that, that your career brings you now. And I think there's something that's subconsciously really fulfilling for an offspring to see, you know, their parent do. You're spot on. Because I, I feel like, especially in America, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in America, I think so many people have been on this performative societal checklist journey of their life. And not a lot of us are fortunate to see the people around us in our families doing something that really truly brings them joy or leaning into a career that maybe is not textbook, that's not, you know, and that you've created kind of your own pathway for this. A lot of us grew up with parents and grandparents that were like, I hate my job. And they came in every day from work and 
and we absorb that not on yeah. purpose. Nobody's trying to, to taint our experiences. It was just like, this is what life is, you know, like this is what we've grown. So I can imagine even not intentionally doing it, you're inspiring your children and the people around you to be like, one, it's never too late to do whatever the hell you want. But two, like, if you really lean into that thing, whatever it is, you could really make something of yourself. You're you're so right. And and that leads back to what I was talking about, the subconscious. You know, I mean, the subconscious, you know, your conscious thoughts might remember your father or your mother or your grandparents coming in, um, but your subconscious brings that all that information in. So you, you've actually got a you've got a bigger mind than, than what you think you do and just like tapping in that subconscious and saying, is this the right path for me? And you'll get a different answer than having your book brain conscious thoughts do and and what i've learned from that is i don't let my conscious thoughts make any decisions i let my subconscious make all the decisions so for example if i'm doing something boring such as a price model for a product i'll essentially write down i'm doing a price model for a product and just leave it i will come back to it in a week's time i will not think about it any more time and i'll just let my subconscious come to the surface on what is the simplest price model for a product and then my subconscious will just tell me the answer and it's like oh that was easy and it takes the stress off having to complex do complex algorithms and Excel spreadsheets and, and boring shit. Like my, my body, my mind knows the answers, but my conscious mind just screws everything up. So all of that ability that you just described as far as like letting your subconscious kind of guide the decision-making or even make the decisions in a way, that is fairly... Because you said early on in your life, you started to meditate, like when you were dropping out of high school, uh, college or university. And so is that like a fairly newer decision making process for you, like from the time when you were like exposed but on your own doing? So I'm 50 now. So this was, you know, back in my 20s. So when you say newer, I think I've harnessed it over the last probably, say, five to eight years. But it's been around, and 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 when I see an artist who you know have a when I say an artist, someone like a like that your guest, you know, where they'll have a, a notepad beside their desk, and they'll write, you know, they'll write something before they go to sleep because they won't remember it when they wake up, or they'll have a notepad in the car. That 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 subconscious thought coming through before they go to bed when you know when you're just drifting off to sleep, I, I find that that's so important. So the beauty is it takes the stress off everything. You do not have to. Don't get me wrong. You need to read. You need to research. You need to learn. But you read read coming in and then just leave it. And then you, you know ninety five percent of your brain, which is essentially your subconscious, will do the rest of the work for you. Yeah. What's the biggest difference between like you now and the way that you operate compared to? when you were still doing all the same kind of things, but you were hiding part of you for everyone's eyes to see? Um, it's a good question. I, I think because I started when this, when I was 13, I didn't have to hide anything. So my pre-adult was a natural form of hacking at 13 because at that, uh, that we're talking 37 years ago. So no one cared about hackers back then. But when I hit the adult, you must do this, you must do that, you know, parents that went to church, you must, you know, all of a sudden you're an adult and you've got to do the thing. That screwed my path and then I then unscrewed it, uh, for a better word, um, you know, in, in my mid, mid to late 20s. Were you as content or happy when you weren't? showing your full self uh no i wasn't at, at all only because it was half of who i was 
Did you, I mean, I talked to a lot of people about this, my self-experience. Did you have, because you felt that you had to hide that portion, did you ever experience any kind of like depressive states or anxiety or any of those elements in your life? Or was it just like, this is uncomfortable, but whatever? Not consciously. Uh, and what I mean, I don't want to sound like stupid. I mean, I, I, a lot of people, you know, whether it be depression or all that, so I'm so stubborn that even if I was, I wouldn't admit it to myself. So uh, the, if you'd asked my wife, you might have said, oh, yeah, back when you were, you know, 30, between that and that age, I could see it. But I'm too stubborn for my, my brain to absorb that. That's just <laughs> well, my nature. <laughs> that must be uh, quite an experience there. Yeah, it's very relaxing. In your world, like what is your day... I mean, don't give me all the details, but like, what is a day to day life for you look like now? Because it sounds like you're being sought after to tell more stories and things like that as well. Yeah, so um, I did a talk last year. So I, I, I did. I've been doing some research for the last four years on IEDs and jammers. So you know, IEDs in Iraq or, or Afghanistan getting exploded, and then jammers, how jammer technology works. So I was tasked to have a look at if I could circumvent a jammer and IEDs could then be blown up uh, in a jammed environment. So I, mean, I spent the last four years of my life just focusing on getting around that. I presented that last year. These talks are all online on how to do that. Essentially, I, I, like you said, I look for holes in the system and then I present them and then people then have the ability to fix those holes if they want to. And a lot of the time, most governments don't fix it because it's too hard. Yeah, so something like that, four years looking into that, that's something that an organization, a government of something has reached out to you to investigate or is that something that you choose to do on your own? I, I chose This one I chose on my own. So usually what will happen is because I work with, cert, with certain governments, I will uh, – the perfect example, so what happened was Julian Assange, you know, Julian Assange, he was in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy in, in the UK and he was being jammed that he couldn't communicate outside of the – Embassy and I, and I then got an interest in jammers. How do jammers work? How do they block the frequencies? What don't they block? You know, what what frequencies do they not block underneath? So that so I started going in head deep into how jammers work, only because I was interested in the technology that they were using. Along the way, with my research, I would then talk to government departments along the way about Have you looked at this? Have you looked at that? You know, and so there'd be a communication back and forth. And also private companies as well to, to, to lead up to that path. So you were doing what the scouts honor to like let them know that there could be some holes and things like that? This Correct. Time? Especially when you're talking about like like troops getting killed and stuff like that. So it sounds like a lot of the things you do really come from that initial interest, your own interest, and then you kind of uncover these things and then you bring it to them? You, you're spot on. And the first talk that I did was actually I was watching the news and it was an Australian news article where they published that 200 people who were supposed to be discharged from hospital had actually been declared dead from leaving hospital. So someone had done a tick the wrong box. Instead of letting discharge, they clicked dead and then actually killed 200 people, virtually, of course, off the system. So I think, how could that actually happen? So that led me down, you know, the rabbit warren of the death and the birth industry. I mean, I love that, not the topic. I love that that you like legitimately just get interested in something like something happens. And then you're like, I can actually make a career out of something I'm interested in using the skills that I have. It's like fascinating to me. And I, I love that for you. I'm so, I'm so lucky. I can, you know, I'll wake up at like six in the morning and I'll sit in front of a computer and I'll just start, I call it, we call it working, but I mean, I'm having fun. And if I then knock off at, you know, 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night, I don't care whether it's Monday or Sunday. Like it makes no difference to me. I just love what I do. 
Yeah. No, and that is, I think, rare. I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people that I'm sure at some point it feels like work. What part of it feels like work to you? Nothing? No, Putting the no, presentation together? No, I love I love that too. I love that okay. too. Because remember, I'm like you said, when you were presented with some material, a lot of it went over your head. My job, and I obviously failed in your case, is putting it in a in a format that is digestible for everybody. And so I just can't assume that everybody has just been, you know, working on jammers for the last four years and working with electrical engineers. So I then have to go and talk to other people, you know, uh, the public about what, you know, do you understand this? No, I don't. Okay, dumb it down. So uh, it's, it's I, I enjoy that part too of communicating the story. That's like another hacking of some sort. It, it like... is. It's, it's mind hacking. And that's why I gravitated to this meditation because it's like, man, I've got this, you know, sub brain doing all the work. Why am I using it? That's, you know, I'm, I'm lazy by nature. So I let that do it. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you're, you're very dedicated to your curiosity. Yes. And what I mean, lazy in life is like, you know, how many trips do I need to make from the car with, you know, bags of shopping? You know, I'll, I'll carry 12 bags and drop two instead of two trips, you know, that sort of behavior. Well, if we're talking about grocery shopping, I tend to put all the bags on one hand and then I have one thing in the other hand. I'm like this. I really didn't think this one through, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm not the only one. No, you're not. You're not. Uh, yeah. No, I, I'm, I, I hate saying that I'm so like shocked that someone could find something in which their curiosity could lead them, you know, I mean, you have a lot of skill clearly to be able to not everyone could, a lot of people are curious. A lot of people can't do what you do. I think it's just, it's just focus. It's not skill. It's focus. Anyone can, I'll give you an example. My wife said to me, no, no, I heard some, I heard something about, I heard something about baby shark. I thought, what the hell is this baby shark crap? And she said, you must be the only planet, uh, only person on the planet not to <laughs> heard of baby shark because I'm just solely focused. You put something, someone in front of a computer for 19 hours a day, four years, you know, 360, that's 1200 days. Anyone can do it. I don't agree, but we'll, we'll agree <laughs> to disagree here okay. because I think you have, you have, a lot of skills that you taught yourself. I'm sure other you've learned from other people in your uh, in your orbit of some sort. But I'm the focus. I'm sure is definitely helpful. But I don't think that everyone can do it. But I, you know, I think that's that's fascinating. And and if we distill it down to a a moment of you know you were doing stuff and you were on the path, you were kind of doing the things you liked, but also the things you felt you had to do. And there was like this little voice out there, some some person that was just like, why don't you just do it on your own? Yeah, and that's just the trigger to, to, to bring everything into line. Yeah, it's, you know, it's that whole butterfly effect kind of thing. You know, it's, it's just a little tiny flap of the wings and you could have heard it on a different day and maybe felt a little bit differently about it or heard it in a different tone or from a different person and maybe it wouldn't have done the same thing. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's so crazy, like, because you've been doing this since you were a teenager, essentially. And when you were a teenager, did did your family know that you were doing this stuff? No, for them, that was a, a, a kid that was happy in front of a computer, just leave him alone. And I was lucky enough to have, he's quiet, just, you know, I've got, I've got other kids, uh, I've got my other interests, he's happy and just leave him be. You know, he's, he's the computer guy, you know what I mean? He's just that guy. And, and, and I, I see it in my kids as well. Like, you know, they've got that hyper-focus where they'll just, you know, sit in front of a computer and they'll do what they're doing and you just leave him be. Like, why would you let sleeping dogs lie? 
Did you, did the, you know, I know you mentioned the word, like you said, like criminal hacker. Is that what you said? Yeah. Did that affect any relationships around you or people that you knew the idea? I mean, I don't know if it's the same connotation in the United States. I think a lot of people are, will look at that and just completely wipe someone off the board. Did you have any of that? No, I got respect. So I had organizations who will, I can't give you their names, but they would essentially say, we're glad you've come out. We see the bullshit for other people said, I'm a reformed hacker and now I'm this. We actually like it that you're on both sides of the fence because you can actually bring us intelligence to this side of the conversation because you don't normally talk to a criminal to find out what they're looking for in a system. So I can then present, I present to banks now. I present to banks to say, this is what I'm looking for when I'm trying to target you. Uh, this is what you what you got to look out for. I'm not after you personally. You're just one step in a hop for me to penetrate your your net your your, your employees' network. So you embrace that word? Oh, completely. I could embrace it. I, I, I use the word mercenary, and the only way I use the word mercenary, pay, pay, to, pay to hack, is hacker. The word even in my industry is changing. When you think of the word hacker, do you think of the word criminal? Um, I think of movies. Yeah, exactly, and, and most of the pe- most people do, and that's criminal, and and, that, and that's okay. But in my industry, they're trying to. Well, they're going back from a, a word that was used, I think, in the seventies, where hacker was somebody that likes to use uh, to program or to play with computers, and that's completely fine. But in, even in my industry, if I said I'm the word hacker, that's not saying I'm a criminal. Um, so I have to use the word criminal hacker or mercenary to show what I do is not not to differentiate for the sake of differentiation, but just to highlight this is what I do. Yeah, would you say that most or what percentage of what you do has the end goal of something that is uh, positive or for the betterment of people? Uh, I'm probably 50-50. Okay. So there are things that you do that are seemingly on the surface not pleasant. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, but and, okay. but you've always got to put your and not to defend it, but you've got to put yourself in the mind of, for example, uh, if an, an American journalist is in a prison and is being held captive, and she needs feminine hygiene products, and then I can because the governments don't want to deal with it. If I can pay a Libyan guard to make sure that she gets these products via Bitcoin. That's a criminal act on, you know, the Libyan side, the American side, the Australian side, whatever the hell you want to deal with it. But the fact is she's essentially getting what she needs. So is that criminal? Yes. I'm at the state. I just don't care. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's like it's a law for the sake of being a law. But I would not see that. I would see that as something that is for the general human good. Correct. You know, Correct. But if, if I want to be a stickler, then I'll say that's that's criminal, but does it keep me up at night? No, I sleep really well uh, if I'm doing that sort of activity. Yeah, because, I mean, the way that you presented, the reason I asked that question is the way you present, I assume, which I know people have told me what assuming does, but I assume that there is an intention of end result being good for people and not harming people, whether that breaks the law, criminal, whatever, We'll throw that piece away, but the sense that you're not out there, or I'm assuming, like this example you gave me, that's to help another human. So there's a human quality to it. Correct. And you're not just like finding ways to mass kill everyone. 
No, exactly. And I'm not robbing bank after bank after bank and moving money on. There's nothing, yeah, nothing like that at all. But again, you know, anything, if you're hacking into another country doing something like that, it's, it's criminal activity. Yeah. And I, I, I totally understand that. And I think that to your point, some laws are laws for the sake of being laws or rules because some man over there said that that had to be a rule and not doesn't make any sense because you know whatever we go through that a lot here in the united states yeah and you do and matt and that touches on what we talked about right at the start of the conversation of when i'm told something i question it like does that sound like a reasonable law that this woman can't get what she wants she's just at the wrong place at the wrong time political pawn release her and then we'll release all libyans from this middle eastern jail for me that's just, just stupid and then i will then dismiss that as a law and then make sure she gets what she needs. Yeah, I love it. You know, well, as much as I said, I just love breaking laws. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, I think that at the heart of what you do is to help others by exposing things that they didn't know existed or holes that they didn't know existed. And now out in the open, it sounds like there's a lot even more of you trying to let those people know that. Yes this is the the problem and yeah. they can probably fix it so that yeah. it's not a problem so that more than just you won't do it. Exactly. And that's when we, we talked about that 50, 50, for example, do you want to be in a world where there's a hundred thousand virtual people in America that don't exist because you virtually birthed them. They're now 18 years old. They have a credit record. They can, you know, essentially get a firearms license. They get a driving license. They can do whatever, but they don't physically exist. And then your children or your sister, your brother or your whatever cousin wants to buy a vehicle from this person that doesn't exist. You pay money to this person that doesn't exist. And all of a sudden that money is now gone. That person never existed. And this person then can be declared dead. Um, you can then get insurance payout on this dead person, and then the criminals then get this. All of this money starts hitting the insurance industry, and that's why I essentially published that material uh, back in 2015. I think it was. So basically, you're saving the world one case at a time. Exactly, and for me, that was a detrimental one. That yeah, that, that I don't want my kids dealing with that stuff, buying virtual buying cars off people that don't exist. And it sounds like it stems all from like your personal curiosity and things that bother you or things that so I, I mean, I love this journey for you and and hearing about it. And it can parallel so many other people, you know, in a sense, in a different industry or a different passion or whatever it may be. There's a lot of parallels that can be taken from your story. And we're not here saying like everyone needs to do what you do. But everyone should lean into what feels right, what serves them, what, you know, drives them and kind of go in the direction that you went with your own. And it, and it doesn't even have, matter. It doesn't even have to be a career. It can be like a, a, a mother of three children who loves raising children and that's what she loves doing and she focuses in on, in on that. Good point. She does, doesn't need a career, doesn't need this, doesn't need that. Is this her true calling? If the answer is she says, this is my true calling or a father, a single father, it, this, that's a true calling. Just fucking run with it. You can't go wrong following your gut drop the shame drop, completely drop the shame drop any of the non the activities and it, it comes back to do you care what this person thinks and you should not care what somebody else thinks <laughs> it's very hard it is it's very you. hard but if you if you're sure in what you're doing it's just noise and i came out for the whole industry to say why is this guy saying he's a hacker 
and do I care or is it the right thing to do? For me, it was the right thing to do. I don't really care. Uh, people have now come around to that sort of behavior, but uh, you shouldn't have that shame on what you love doing. Yeah. Is it interesting to you now that people revere you for what you do when for so long you kind of hid it behind the scenes? It, it does. And the reason I smile for those who are watching the, the video, the reason I smile is I got asked to do a TED talk in New York back in 2019 about this whole conversation. And then the TED organizers, I had my approved speech and I was ready to present. And they said, Chris, you know, you've shown us how good a hacker you are, but how good a hacker are you really? And so I then hacked into all the TED speakers uh, the TED conference organisers that were that I'd been in, been interviewed along the way, and I presented their life in a in you know this is your life, this is your credit record, <laughs> this is your bank statement, this is like this, and they pulled my TED talk. And for me, I think the biggest shock that I'd ever had was you've asked a scorpion, you know, to do something, and he stung you, and that's what scorpions do. And for me, that was like I wouldn't say the word shock, but it was like wow, you, you thought you wanted to hear from a cyber mercenary you didn't actually really want to hear from a cyber mercenary yeah don't ask the question you don't want the answer to <laughs> exactly right essentially exactly right. yeah no i mean i think it's like i said i came into this conversation like what like i don't understand but it's very simple on the surface of like not what you do but what you do like yeah. in your life like yeah. and the way that you do it and the way that it serves you and it serves the people around you and there's something to be taken from that you know, if, if this version of you, which sounds, doesn't sound too different than it, but I, this is kind of how I like to bring these conversations to a close. But if this version of you with all that, you know, being out in the public and sharing all this information could go back to the Chris that was about to sign another contract or really just wanted to keep going down that road. Is there anything that you would nudge him to do or say anything to him? No, just follow that, follow the path. And, and, and like I said to you at the start of the conversation, not to go on a tangent, but your your guests all touch on it. There've been that moment in their life, whether it be a death or whatever, they come back to what do I do now? All of a sudden, they have to think about what's the, the next part of their life, and and in some it's very difficult, more difficult than what I've had to do. But my, my point is, is they find their way. Yeah, and it's, I see a vein all through your talks, and I love listening to your talks because. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's very enjoyable. And your listeners, uh, you must have a great audience because that vein must resonate for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it is it's true. I even for myself, you know, I've just recently in the last year or two taken the word like I used to be forced to tell people that my mom passed away in an accident. She was killed in an accident, and so I've taken that word back and we have these conversations around this and even though it was such a tragic thing and it happened to me at such a young age and it happened to her at such a young age, knowing what I know now, the experiences that I've been through now, the person that I am now, I am this way because of all the things that came after that moment. And so going back, I don't, I don't think I would change things because I don't know where I would be. I don't know what that situation would be. And it's so terrible to say out loud, but it's truthful, you know, so I agree with you that there's this vein of like, life just has to unfold in the way that it's unfolding. And, and you said you're eight, year, eight years old at the time. So the, the beauty is your, your conscious hadn't started, your, your, you know, your real conscious hadn't started until your, you know, essentially seven, the first seven years. So your subconscious has all those great memories of just tapped of, of all, all that, all that knowledge of, of, of her. 
it's been a journey and I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this and, and being so open about something that I think a lot of people, like you said, play this game. Like I used to be this, or I was this reformed this. And you're like, no, I still am. I'm doing the damn thing and I don't need to be performative and I don't need to impress anybody. And I just need to do what I'm doing. Right. And I, I appreciate that honesty and that, that drive and that it, I hate the word because it's overused, but the authenticity that comes across of like, this is what it is. This is just straight up what it is. I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not pretending it's something that it's not. And I think that's really refreshing. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. And it, it's just clean. It's just, it's just a clean when you're doing something that you love. It's just, it's just, it, for me, it's just clean. Whether I'm doing something, you know, criminal or not, it's just a clean, because uh, it's, 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 it's like you said, authentic. It's natural. Yeah, it doesn't look like you have to work very hard no. to. You said you're lazy, so yeah. If you if it has to be work to like be somebody else, why do it? They, exactly. You know, exactly. You know? But I, it, that's a good lesson. I think it is an important lesson for someone. You know, I'm early 40s, and my experience in my generation was very much you had to perform to certain standards of all people, and you have to you have to pretend. You know, like. If you don't fit in the mold, then you're not going to get anywhere. And so I think it's just we're at a place where I think that there are more people doing what you do in the sense of like really being true to themselves and, and what they want to do. And I think there's a lot of value there. If people want to like watch your, your not your TED Talk, but people want to watch your <laughs> presentations or read about you more, what's the best way to get in your orbit without being hacked by you? Yeah, if you just go to my website, chrisrockhacker.com, you'll see all my presentations and books and articles and, and uh, you'll find everything there. Do you interact with people if they like have questions yeah, people, for you or anything? Yeah, people write to me all the time. I've got people saying, you know, I'm sick of my government. Can you overthrow me or you know, all this <laughs> sort of stuff? But I, I, I love talking to I've – I've had people who've had – they've been killed off virtually – so that, you know, I, you know, my ex-husband killed me off virtually, and now I am with, you know, I, I can't get a driver license, I can't get a passport. So, can you birth help. me? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Can you rebirth me? Are people afraid to connect with you? Do you uh, they, they are, they are. But like I said, uh, look, I've, you've got to have motivational interest. I've got, you know, I get a lot of people contacting me. I've got, you know, please email me. I'll give you a link. It's clean. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not interested. Well, and just for people that are only listening to audio, there I don't think there has been a moment except for when your phone went off that you didn't smile in this whole conversation, you know? And I think that's, there's something to be said about that. I think it's, you know, I think we, like you said, what do you think of when you think of Hacker? You like think of these movies and you think these like moody kind of like mad, angry kind of thing. And you've just been so like seemingly happy through this whole conversation. And I think that that's, a nice refreshing take. Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So we'll have we'll have all those links in the show notes so people can connect with you or get in your orbit or just like run really far. Whatever feels right for them. Uh, I appreciate you though and and for sharing your story on the Life Shift podcast. It it really means a lot. Thanks, Matt, and thanks to all your listeners. And to the listeners, if you enjoyed this episode or you were really inspired by what Chris had to share, if you could send it to a friend that might want to listen to it or wants to hear a little bit more about what Chris is doing, we would appreciate that. And with that, I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Life Shift podcast. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, man. 
For more information, please visit www.thelifeshiftpodcast.com.